Welcome to the Tamarind Learning Podcast, where host Dr. Kirby Ross Plock speaks with experts on many topics relevant in the ultra high net worth family wealth management space. Kirby is author of several books, including The Complete Family Office Handbook, and shares her expertise consulting with families and family offices. Kirby is also the founder of Tamarind Learning, an online wealth education platform that develops practical, foundational learning programs for beneficiaries to help them prepare for responsible stewardship of wealth. Welcome to the Tamarind Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirby Rosblock, and I'm super excited to have with us today, Dr. Jamie Weiner, who's gonna share a lot more about his recent book. It's called The Quest for Legitimacy, how children of prominent families discover their unique place in the world. Jamie, it's so wonderful to have you here today. You are so talented in so many different capacities. You and your wife, Carolyn, work together, and you also have birth this incredible book with the support and collaboration of Russ Hayworth, who's another wonderful family business podcast consultant advisor. And then this book is also rich with a lot of research supported with academics like Frank Barbera and others. And so I'm so excited to have you on the Tamron Learning Podcast today because this book is a real valuable contribution to the literature of inherited wealth and understanding the complex relationship that families have with bringing up you know the next generation and helping them launch successfully into the world so welcome kirby so wonderful to you know be able to do this with you with all respect for all you're doing with tamarind learning so thank you well you know, I have to admit, Jamie and I have had the chance to work in many different capacities over the years, including the FFI practitioner. So the Family Firm Institute is something near and dear to both of our hearts. And I commend you for all the work and support you do and continue to do with their study groups and, you know, really supporting um, not just the inheritor community, but the advisor community to serving wealthy and complex families. I just, um, I have great respect and to have you on today as a guest is a real treat for me. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, you, this is not your first book, right? So you've written other books, including one of my favorites, The Legacy Conversation. But I'm just curious if we go to what inspired you to write The Quest for Legitimacy, what motivated you? Who's this book for? I mean, Tell us more about what inspired you to, to go down this path. So Kirby, I, I think the real thing that kind of got me passionate about writing this book, about doing the research, was the experience of rising gen family members. And it really didn't start with, oh, let's write a book. It started with hearing all the, the talk about, oh my God, these entitled privileged kids and not not truly believing that that was the real picture and the beauty of zoom and everything else is it really opened the door to being able to interview rising gen family members from around the globe so we interviewed 24 rising gen family members twice and i could tell every time they talked to me 
that their hope was that they would make a difference for other rising gen family members. That's really inspiring. And I just want to say that COVID has been right a blessing and a curse, um, really a curse for the majority of cases. But in, in a strange way, when you're gathering research and able to have sort of these intimate personal conversations through you know, a platform like Zoom or GoToMeeting or whatever you're using, um, there's probably something powerful, right? To jump to all different parts of the world to get to connect with these um, different individuals across cultures and ethnicities. So that's another thing I love about your your book is that it, it doesn't seem totally Western centric. Mm -hmm. So I love that you bring in a broader um, audience and it, it's more relatable. So one of the greatest moments was having a, a conversation with somebody in Indonesia. And other than the time difference, right? And so it was 11 o'clock at night for her and sometime in the morning for me and there was somewhere in between. It opened the world and made us really realize that we're all part of this global global world. And... Um, and COVID was a mixed blessing because it allowed me time to write the book. Yeah. Well, and for a lot of folks, it was a turning inward, right? It was a period of like reevaluating, reassessing. And, you know, I think I found that that is a gift. We oftentimes don't stop the busyness of our chaotic lives to start to look inward as much as maybe we all need to, at least I can say that for myself. Um, but one of the things I just found so accessible about your book is that it was incredibly relatable and, and your stories felt so genuine and authentic. And that's not, I can't say that about a lot of the books I read in our literature today. So thank you for making it normalized and not um, putting some of the these stories on a pedestal or making them sound so unique, but rather really relatable. And I mean, I don't know if that was your intention, but it, it's mm. certainly an, an outgrowth of something I got from reading through your book, which was for me a real page turner. So it really started even with the question we asked, because there's a lot out there about the rising gen or the next gen or whatever we're gonna call them. But the question we asked was, what is it like growing up in the land of giants? And at once, did anybody stop us and say, what do you mean by land of giants? They knew what we were talking about. They could name their giants in their lives. And they could talk about their personal experience of what it's like growing up in this world. Well, giants mean so many things to so many different folks. And I know your book creates an awareness of how they might be your parents, they might be your grandparents, they might be the founders going back generations. Um, and I know that the concept of giants is something that you've worked with for many, many years. And one of the other things I found interesting about your decision to use the quest is that the quest is really around, you know, the verb or the the noun of it means, you know, the hero's journey. And, and oftentimes giants are referred to as the heroes, but really we're talking about this rising gen journey, right? And this 
expansion of what they're trying to achieve. Maybe you can tell us more about the title and why that connects to the story that you're you're sharing here. So the title didn't come from them telling us, oh my God, I'm on a quest. The title yeah. really came from the research, the conversations, and the recognition that no matter where in the globe, whether it was Indonesia, Chicago, or Costa Rica, everybody that we were on described a very similar um, process that had four, four phases. And it wasn't linear, but it began to, to, to be open, open up the door to, to be, being able to suggest there is a path, there is a way to, to be able to begin to sort out your own personal um, sense of agency and be able to figure out who you want to be in the world that's a very powerful world that you grow up in. Well, maybe just give us a hint of what those four phases are so we can start to embrace and appreciate like the beginning to the end and kind of what is the progression? So I was hoping you'd ask uh, the first phase we call awareness. It's really those beginning moments where you begin to recognize that you live in a world that's different. It's followed by a period of that I call the tug of war. You're still involved in your family. There's all that knowledge. Some of these families that we're talking to, they could be 250 years old. There's a history, 450 years old in one case. And so there's all of this, and then there's the exposure to the world. And you're kind of at times pulled between the two worlds. The period that's probably the most significant is the period of exploration where you begin to internalize what it is you were brought up in, but now mm -hmm. you're exposed to an outside world. And that's really the opportunity to be able to learn stuff that over time has the potential to be brought back to the family. And the last phase, which is the one that people really struggle with, is beginning to take ownership of your life and feel that it's you that's running the ship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's the continuum right there that we're all striving for that self-actualization and feeling like we own kind of our journey and, and maybe we're born from something bigger than us, but then we are complete with ourselves, right? We're, we're content. We've, we've sort of arrived. Um, and that's, that's a, a finish line that never seems to quite we ever quite pass it right <laughs> yeah i talk about how it, and, um and i'm in my 70s i talk about still being rising yeah. and how the book was really an act of truly finding something that made me feel legitimate and like had a contribution to make in the world yeah well one thing i love in your book is you talk about the concept of liminality and you write, liminality is the essence of the middle phase of the rite of passage. And that struck a real core for me um, because I see that with a lot of families and a lot of individuals I work with where 
they're in a transition phase. They may not even know it. Um, but maybe tell us more about what that concept means in your book and how it fits into the journey of a person who might be born into one of these complex types of families. So probably the one that everybody would relate to is COVID was a period of liminality. It was a period of feeling betwixt and between. And what we realized in all of the interviews that we did is that everybody went through a period of feeling betwixt and between. And as a psychologist, I'm also really differentiating it from depression and anxiety and all those clinical terms in order to make it a normal part of being on a quest, being able mm -hmm. to sort out what's important to you and figure out um, where you want to be in the world, because there are a lot of options out there. There is a lot of options. And I just, I really like that there was a sense of like, you're moving maybe from one state. I think COVID is a great example of, we all kind of know what our lives were like before COVID. And now we're in this transition phase that we don't really know exactly when it will end or how our new normal will look because we still haven't quote arrived there. So I love that as it relates to someone sort of going on this quest for legitimacy where they might know that they're going through some transition, but they don't actually know what the, you know, arrival point looks like. They can't define that. They just know that they're, they're not the person <laughs> they were when they started this. Right. So one of the examples that I love to tell about in this is a young man, um, parents had had the, the talk with him in high school about the privilege and the world he was born into. And he went off to college <clears throat> and everybody was talking about what they were going to do to make a living. And he went, oh my God, I have so many options. And it threw him so, so powerfully that he ended up going home and spending about a year and a half in home um, with support from his parents. So that was really the beautiful part of the story, beginning to sort out who he is, what he wanted to do, and eventually went back to school and got a master's degree and could have gone on and taught. But it, has begun, it really used that period to sort out um, what's important to him, what he wants to do with his life. A little bit more than the idea of a gap year, yeah, because it wasn't a planned year, but a year that was really used to, to gain exposure and just sort. Yeah. And again, sometimes we can't plan for that, right? We can't plan for those moments of, oh, I need to just step back, you know, um, and there's so many great points that you make in the book around, you know, getting stuck or sort of things that trigger you, right? Um, to maybe have those periods of liminality. But I also really love the section of your book where you talk about how frequently individuals get stuck and there's a connection to trust, not the terminal, the entity trust, but the, the relational trust. And maybe you can talk more about why it's pretty common to get stuck in this sort of transition or in this journey 
um, and what that meant to some of the people you talked to. So in the book, I talk about the four and a half years I spent working at Cook County Jail. And it sort of um, it felt like it was the bottom. And it was really clear, in fact, um, I created a group. We did some exercise exercises. There was a trust exercise. Two minutes in, one of the guys says, are you crazy? I'm never going to trust anybody. And the group went on, oh, so good that he's honest. Well, when you think about that, the challenge with not trusting, and that's true in all the families that you know we're relating to, is trust is a, an inessential agreement, a, a ingredient. It was something that's kind of the basis and allows you to be able to have disagreements but still feel connected. And if you don't have that, it's it's hard to move on from there. It is. I mean, it also shuts you down, right? You're closed off from a lot of the world when you're not able to believe or think that there's relationships worth vesting in. And, you know, I know personally how hard it is when trust has been betrayed or has, you know, not worked out as you had hoped. But, you know, if you don't try to continue to build relationships and continue to put yourself out there, um, it does seem to thwart your ability, right, to continue to grow and manifest. Um, tell us more about what you think of when you think of, like, the Rising Gen's journey and the role that culture, right, plays in how they've evolved. So my favorite story, story about culture is um, we interviewed the, a woman from Indonesia, like it was Chinese, whole story behind that. And like many, she came to the States to study. She was given two instructions. One was to come back with an advanced degree and two was to come home. She came home, she spent a period of time helping her father build a new factory. The relationships had some rocking moments, and so with great pride, one night she came to her father and she said, Dad, Dad, I think I'm going to be able to own my, uh, get a job and earn my own money. And her father's response to us, which through Russ and I were doing the interviews, was, I don't get it. Where's my face in it? And we're both kind of rocking back and forth. What do we mean by face? And she explained to us that in her culture, that being able to honor the patriarch and to do something that shows that respect, it's kind of okay. essential to their culture. It, it started a conversation, so it was a good thing in the long run, but it was a, a, a cultural break moment because she had to experience both individualistic culture of the United States and the culture that she grew up in, which we found to be very common. Very common. And I think a great unifier and that this journey isn't alone, which again, I think makes one of your real attributes of your book is that, again, it relates to many common themes, even across, you know, different cultures, different experiences. There are these sort of repeatable kinds of experiences that individuals growing up in 
wealthy and complex business owning families tend to experience. I mean, another big discussion point in your book is around parents and how their role, particularly today, right, with helicopter parents and the massive influence that parents play in, in the development of their child. Tell us more about what knowledge could be gleaned from the rising gen's understanding of their parents' own quest. What a great question. Um, you know, first of all, a lot of times the parents don't understand that they're perceived as giants. Mm. So they don't quite get what the experience is for the rising gen growing up in their world. <coughs> um, there's a magic moment that can happen when um, parents reveal their humanness and where the giants become mortal and where they can describe and because you know a kid growing up sees a moment in, a, in an adult's life they don't see all the struggle it took to get there hmm. and um you know rishi is a major character in the book uh, his father is from india um, he was a little bit luckier because his father's success and his growth kind of happened at the same time. But in contrast, somebody who we interviewed who grew up in a family that was 250 years old, the founder is a historical figure. The history is, is powerful. And to see that there are rocky moments in that history and that everybody had to struggle and get through them, is a liberating experience for somebody rising up, growing up in that culture. I think that's great, incredible, powerful insight. And again, the um, the journey of the parents or whoever created wealth and significance in a family, if it's not experienced by the rising gen, it's not that it's discounted, but it's not proportionately appreciated because they didn't live it. And so that lived experience for a family member coming up is incredibly connected to maybe how they think about their parents or the wealth or businesses in their family or the prominence of their family. And it's important to unpack that to right size, right? Because there's so many matriarchs and patriarchs I've had the privilege to work with who either feel misunderstood, misappreciated, or quite honestly, conflicted. Um, I spent too much time, right, focused on building wealth, and now I have to spend so much more time focused on, you know, loving my children or participating in their lives or being more of an active um, participant in the community. So again, I see this firsthand, and I, I love that you talk about that parents own journey vis-a-vis -vis the rising gen's journey and and why that is a really important relationship right to unpack yeah so um having grown up in a family with a prominent father not a, a wealthy father but um my dad was a rabbi um he was a central figure in the community there were a couple thousand people at his funeral um, there were conversations we never had, 
And, you know, my father came from Germany. He, he went to Palestine. He came on a boat that he had to go through India. Those stories were never told. There was never the opportunity for me to make him human. And so this is something that um, I feel is tremendously important. And yeah. um, just makes a difference. It does make a difference. And I, I love that you added your story to your book. I mean, it's hard, right? It's hard to write about your own personal experience, but boy, for me, it made me appreciate you as an author, as a peer, as a writer, as a researcher, um, so much more, just even having more insight to how this whole journey, like we all experience it on some level. And, you know, the other thing, I mean, just going, jumping to another part of the book that I loved was, you know, how, how does one reconcile being part of of a family, um, but maybe not part of the family enterprise or the wealth creation or the story and how that, that sort of disconnect and reconciliation process is unique and different for, you know, each, each person. So one of the, the stories that is pretty central in the book is the story of Rishi. Um, Rishi went off to college. He did some entrepreneurial things. He was asked to come back and help his dad and spent five years working with his dad, went off to graduate school. Um, his dad bought many businesses, came back home. There was one in trouble. And, um, and as a result, um, he spent a year in the business, went off to the World Cup, came back and got an email and was fired by his father an email. So the original plan was that he would be heir apparent. And for a number of reasons, he stopped talking to his dad for a couple of years, knocked on his dad's door, which I think was pretty heroic. And his dad almost in tears said, I'm so glad that you did this. I would never have reached out. So Rishi now has a role where he's still communicative about the enterprise, but he's gone on to, um, as a professor has gone on to doing training, is building his separate life out of here. And um, his siblings are still in the role of potential heir parents. And you can feel the tension that exists. Um, and Rishi wants to be there for his brothers, but he also understands the value of being a little bit more on the outside. And there are financial considerations and all that other stuff that go with it, of course. But well, and and it's it's a really um, major awareness factor that several family members reach, where either they, you know, figure out maybe they're not the fit. So the the, the powerful disappointment that probably Rishi went through. I love that part of the book um, and the idea that his father sends like an email. So just cool and devoid of anything personal right? <laughs> um, to, to let him know that he's, his services are no longer needed. And I mean, I, it's very relatable where family and business don't necessarily mesh, you know, seamlessly. And 
family members who are really successful often sit and have a very strong, deliberate, and harsh business side of them. But when it butts into family members, it's, you know, can be unsettling. I love how you use that story to show how this actually prompted his real quest, his real journey to finding his own, you know, his own self, like what, what was going to drive him. Um, and I think there's always that tension where families who are either born into families with operating companies or significant wealth are trying to figure out where they define themselves with relationship to those, those entities. And, and sometimes they get sucked in, right? They get sucked into having to play a role, but they're really always frustrated, disappointed, or disenfranchised that they didn't sort of seek their own, their own path um, outside of it. What, what I really love about that story is you can feel Rishi's father's desire to want to sort it all out and make a connection, and it's very important. And but he also was brought up in a culture where where the expectation is that there's a certain power that the patriarch has. And we kept finding that in different stories. There's a chapter about women. There are three stories in, about women that kind of highlight that as well. Um, and I just think it's part of what if we could make a difference, it would be so powerful. In the long run, it would make business and making business decisions easy, easier as well. It is, it is. And again, what, another thing I love about what you did at the end of your book is you provide a whole list of questions, right? To spark conversation around your, you know, your different phases, awareness, tug of war, exploration and ownership. And I just wonder if, if families started having more of these conversations, if we really started to unpack some of the conflicting feelings or the different viewpoints, um, would we be in a better place? Could we actually bring wholeness to, you know, the person who's going through this journey and trying to figure things out, but also the, the footprint that they were launched from? Um, could it also help them appreciate that they're not going to be exactly like um, the journey that the parents went through or prior generations. So I am really grateful because not only is it a great book and has tremendous insights, great examples and stories, and then the research that you tease out about these sort of pivotal stepping stones of the individual's quest for legitimacy. But I just, I love that you gave us opportunities to expand and make it our own conversation around these issues. I really hope that those questions at the end of the book would be kind of be a bridge that would take people yes. from reading the stories, reading the content to beginning to think about the, their own self and find themselves beginning to think about, so what does this mean for me? What do I do? And maybe even yeah. from that, begin to you know look for other experiences that would help them on the quest. Well, that's probably a good sort of stepping stone to a closing question, which is if you were to leave our listeners, viewers with just a few ideas, either that you share during the, this podcast or things maybe we missed in, in from your book, 
what would you want to leave our listeners with today? So probably the one, and I, I didn't talk about it much, is in all the stories, there was this tremendous sense of isolation. There was this sense of, oh my God, I'm doing this on my own and I have nobody to talk to. And um, you and I know, but the people listening need to know, the moment you can have conversations with other people and you can open up and you can kind of see that your experience is not, oh my God, this is just me is a, a huge aha moment that if your group, if people listening left with the sense of there are other people out there going through this, even that might make a huge difference. Well said, I couldn't agree with you more. And, um, being able to share what you've learned or what you're experiencing or the questions or pain that you're still trying to sort through can be very liberating, right? Um, and can unlock, you know, sort of pain points or things that you didn't even know you were carrying um, through life when you just honor them and accept them. And not that you can make them right necessarily or fix it, um, but that you at least own up to what all comprises your worldview and sort of where you're trying to get to. Um, so I, I love that you brought the isolation piece because this podcast, your book, it's really intended to connect with people to help them, you know, further their journey. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Kirby. Jamie, it's always great to see you. Always great to have you as a guest on the Tamron Learning Podcast to read more, to um, find out how you can purchase Jamie's new book, which by the way, just came out July, 2022 please, you know, click on the uh, attachments to this podcast. And um, we hope to have you back soon again, Dr. Weiner. It's great <laughs> to have you here. Thank you, Kirby.